Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another marvelous day just to be alive, to breathe the air you give us, to have our heart beat, to have the relationships you give us, and just to have the chance and the opportunity to bring you glory in this world while you've assigned us here. Father, most of all, we're thankful and grateful that you sent your Son, Jesus, out of heaven to enter into flesh so that he could take our place in judgment at the cross. We are so grateful, Father. We ask that you help us to live in this reality every day with joy in our hearts. Father, we ask that you bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Beware where you turn, part two. I wrote down in my notes before service, are you ready to eat? Are you ready to be refreshed? And I know how some days it can be out there in the devil's world, and, you know, you really spiritually start to be starving, you know, start to be uh, beaten down. And then to come to Bible class and just to eat the word and eat the word and enjoy the word. Uh, as, I, as I think Jeremiah says, I delight in your word, your words, and I ate them. So just a little food for thought as we're here to be replenished. On the board, we started on Sunday with this principle. The reason Holy Scripture often tells us to stand firm in the faith is because our hearts can be swayed by many things in this world. And don't think you're beyond that for whatever reason. Uh, if you do, you'll be falling into pride and probably fall quicker than you think. Um, we're told to stand firm in the faith for a reason, because there's a battle going on, like a hardcore battle. And really, the forces of evil, if you will, are trying to sway our hearts away from the Lord, away from uh, that affection for the Lord and the, the, uh, the drive to follow him. That's what Satan wants to do. So there are going to be temptations in our spiritual walk, not only to turn towards sin and selfishness, that temptation's always there, but also to turn towards a false theology or a false gospel, as we'll see later in this series. On Sunday, we were reminded of, of the brutal warfare going on around us in the spiritual realm, Please turn again to Ephesians 6, verse 10. And remember, as we read this, what's going on in the invisible realm is very real and very dangerous, having eternal ramifications, which as human beings we don't fully um, appreciate yet, even as believers, because we're not, we don't see it yet. But eternal ramifications in this battle for men's souls. And as we read this, read this with me like it's the first time you read this. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, 
against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So that's quite a call to stand firm in the faith. And I read this before class, and I, you know, I, again, tried to read it for the first time, because many of you have read this passage in the past many times. And the Spirit gave me something to share with you. Stand firm in the faith, right? Hold your ground is what we're being told here. If you look at everything in this passage, it's a defensive posture. Look at some of the words, like in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. All right, that's like a preparation thing. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, resist in the evil day and stand firm. Even in verse 17, we have the shield of faith so we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Does it say to um, charge up the hill? Does it say to fire flaming arrows back at the evil one? Do you see any, anything like that offensive, offensive action? Maybe, just maybe, we already have the victory through Christ. And instead of charging the hill, we're supposed to hold the hill, which is really Calvary, that Christ completed the victory for us once for all. So we're to stand firm in the faith, we're to stand firm in the victory that God has already given us through Christ. So just something to think about, as we're told several times, to stand firm. And with God's armor on, we will avoid temptations and not turn to the right or the left. That's what all this armor is for, to avoid being turned by our enemies. So there's a real battle going on, and our hearts are in the middle of it. That's what Satan's after. He's not just after our overt actions to be against God, but he's actually after our hearts. He's after the core. He's trying to change us from within, even. And then the actions stem from what we really believe in our heart. As an example, remember the first group of people mentioned in the parable of the soils on the board Look at Luke 8, 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Look at the devil's target, the heart of man. Satan is very sly, remember, and he's intent on taking members of the human race down with him. He knows he only has a short time left. But we have a defense system. We have a perfect defense system, if we put it on. The weapons and the power of God Almighty 
are there to defend us from all these attacks, all these lies, etc., if we humbly turn to them and put them on, we can't be defeated. So let's take a few snippets from the book of Proverbs that we saw on Sunday. Go to Proverbs 2, verse 1. As we look into guarding and protecting our hearts. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Notice that again. Incline your heart to understanding. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you, Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. So turning in the wrong direction, folks, all begins with matters of the heart. On the board regarding wisdom and the heart, if your heart seeks God's wisdom and understanding in the fear of the Lord, God will protect it. Proverbs 2.11, for example, understanding will watch over you. So again, if your heart seeks God's wisdom and understanding in the fear of the Lord, God will protect it. But if your heart wanders, if your heart gives in to follow evil men and perverse things in this world, there will be a life of judgment and death following you. Even as believers, we can reap what we sow, and will reap what we sow. So that's why we must beware where we turn. We want to obviously bring God maximum glory in our lives. You know, we know that why we're here in the big picture. So guard your path, you know. Keep those eyes straight ahead so that you don't be tempted to look that way and then go that way and, you know, have to get back on course and have to go through discipline, etc., Beware of where we turn. Before we go on in Proverbs, let's see a passage in Ezekiel about the importance of turning from evil and the power of repentance. I actually read this this morning in my own reading, and I really want to share it with you. Uh, go to Ezekiel 18, verse 21. Ezekiel 18, 21. It's funny, as you just keep reading the Bible in context... God just keeps bringing these things all together for you and coinciding certain themes. It's pretty, pretty cool. So again, as we read this passage, I want you to see the importance of turning from evil and the power of repentance. And also, as we, see, we will see here in this passage, true repentance results in righteous actions as we saw last week with the tax collector Zacchaeus. So let's just read it. Acts 18, I'm sorry, <laughs> Ezekiel 18, 21. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and observes all my statutes and practices, justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. So notice, 
the, the phrase is, if the wicked man turns from all his sins, etc., etc., he shall not die. All his transgressions, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his treachery which, we, which he has committed and his sin which he has committed. For them he will die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity which he has committed, he will die. Again, look at verse 27. The Spirit basically repeats the same thing we just read. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life, because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions which he has committed. Surely he shall surely live. He shall not die. But the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Any questions? P pretty clear and straightforward, isn't it? Repent and live. Turn away from justice and you'll die. The Lord is perfectly fair, uh, fair in these issues. And basically, as our point on the board, a humble, repentant heart will be protected by God. If you find yourself doing the wrong things, repent, turn around, and come back again and live. So on the board again, if your heart seeks God's wisdom and understanding in the fear of the Lord, God will protect it. I'm sorry, you don't have that up there, do you? Hmm. Okay, we'll see what happens. We didn't go to Proverbs chapter 3. Go to Proverbs 3, verse 1. All right, okay, we're good. Proverbs 3, 1. We didn't go here on Sunday, but um, here's a familiar and appropriate passage to our subject. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments. 
Notice again, where do we keep God's commandments? In our heart. Proverbs 3.1 My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. That should sound familiar as we've been there in the last few weeks. And it's good to see several principles that we've been studying all kind of come together in this one passage. And now go to Proverbs 4, verse 4. To complete our review of Proverbs from Sunday. Then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commands and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. So again, we see the heart involved, and we see the concept of turning away or turning towards God's wisdom. So on the board, we saw this on Sunday, only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. Only, only God's wisdom from God's word can protect your heart from deception. Hopefully you who are listening right now believe that, that it really is our only hope of truth, our only hope of being spared, being deceived, and winding up down this path we had no intention of going down. The word of God is our only defense from the brilliant schemes in the devil's world. In this last uh, passage in Proverbs 4, look at verse 23. This really sums up our message from the Spirit in this series. Proverbs 4, 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it, your heart, flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So where does any negative turning begin? It begins in the heart, according to the scriptures. Watch your heart, because ultimately that's what guides your feet, either into trouble or away from trouble. On the board, regarding a new heart, the Spirit is crying out, there's a new way to live and love. You don't have to stay in the ways of your youth. Turn to the Lord. That's the message of God in big picture. There's a new way to live and love. Turn to me. Turn to Christ from the heart. 
you don't have to stay in the ways of your youth. And that goes for us as believers, too, because sometimes we're so familiar with the ways of our youth, even to solve problems, almost like a defense mechanism. We're so familiar with those ways of dealing with things that we revert right back to them. And we know they're not godly, but they're comfortable, you know? We don't want to, you know, rock our boat too much. So we hold on to the things from the past and human solutions. But we don't have to do that. You know, we can humbly turn to the Lord and do it His way. And ultimately, it's because He gives us a new heart at salvation. So what the point on the board means to you and to me and to everyone else, it's going to be slightly different to each of us. But that's what He's saying to us. How you receive this is between you and the Lord. And I hope you do make it personal and humble yourselves before Him to show you that way. Gaining God's wisdom and guarding your hearts is so you don't destroy yourself with things that might look good on the outside, but in the end, they're dead men's bones. They're going to destroy you. That's why we need so desperately God's wisdom and we need to guard our hearts. And in the big picture, be thankful the Lord is doing things and allowing things in your life to keep you from self-destruction. This came up on Sunday as well. Because your flesh is nasty. Don't underestimate it. It wants to bring you down. It wants you to go back to your old ways, etc., etc. Be thankful the Lord is doing things and allowing things in your life to keep you from self-destruction. Why did this happen, Lord? Why do I have to go through this? Did I do something to deserve this? No, maybe not. Do you need it? Yeah. You don't realize it, but you need this thing so that you are pressed under at times, so that you are occupied with this thing, uh, and, and it's pulling you towards me, God says. You need this thing or you're going to destroy yourself. And we don't think that way too often, but... Thank God he keeps us busy, and thank God for his perfect discipline. On the board, keep your nose in the word of God, and keep busy with good things from the Lord. Pretty simple, but that would solve a lot of problems. Keep your nose in the word of God, and keep busy with good things from the Lord. While you have time, we don't know how many days we have left, folks. One of the worst things we can do is underestimate our spiritual enemies to think that we don't need to do this thing on the board. That's why God gave us the full armor from God. He didn't give us just a shield. He didn't give us a shield and a sword. He gave us a full garment of armor. Don't underestimate your spiritual enemies. And again, it's the hearts of men that are in the middle of this spiritual battle. So now let's revisit our definition on Sunday on the heart. And remember, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to make sure we don't fall into the world's uh, view of what the heart means. What is that all about? We're not looking for what Hollywood promotes, that the heart is a mushy-gushy thing that even leads you to compromise truth in the name of love, supposed love but then you're lying to someone about the truth at the same time. So what, what, what is the heart according to the Bible? 
How does it work according to the Bible? Let's do a quick review from Sunday here on the board from BibleStudyTools.com. The heart, uh, Hebrew, labeb, Lab, or Greek, cardia, occurs over 1,000 times in the Bible, making it the most common anthropological term in the Scripture. It denotes a person's center for both physical and emotional, intellectual, moral activities. Sometimes it is used figuratively for any inaccessible thing. For example, who can see what goes on in the heart of man? No one. The heart's reasoning, as well as its feeling, depends on its moral condition. Jesus said that from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, as in Mark 7:21. Because the human heart is deceitful above all else, Jeremiah 17:9, and folly is found up in the heart of a child, Proverbs. Proverbs 22:15 The spirit of God must give humans a new heart. Jeremiah 31:33, Ezekiel 36:26. How does he do that? Through faith that purifies it. Acts 15:9 and Ephesians 3:17. So a lot to think about there, but it paints a, a well-rounded picture. And we saw this reality on Sunday. Faith changes everything. Faith in Christ opens wide the door for us to have a relationship with God and understand the things of God, even experiencing His peace, as we saw a couple weeks ago. Again, faith in Christ opens wide the door for us to have a relationship with God and understand the things of God, even experiencing His peace. And not just at salvation, but our daily faith, walking by faith, opens the door to all the things of God. It's a sanctification process, is it not? It's a journey that we're on. So even after salvation, it's faith that changes everything, that allows God to reveal more and more to us. And here we see faith purifies the heart by the grace of God. Turn again to Acts 15, verse 6. To our point on the board, the Spirit of God must give humans a new heart through faith that purifies it. Acts 15, 6. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. So faith in our Lord Jesus Christ purifies the heart or allows God to give us a new heart. But without faith in Christ, man is stuck in the flesh and stuck with a corrupt heart. It's pretty simple and clear uh, the difference that faith makes. 
Uh, go to Ephesians 3.14. Let's see this one more time. Again, regarding the idea that uh, the Spirit gives humans a new heart through faith that purifies it. Ephesians 3.14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, on the board, faith changes everything. Faith is the vehicle or the avenue by which Christ can dwell in our hearts, according to Ephesians 3.17. And the heart is cleansed by faith in Christ. This happens at salvation by grace through faith. And after salvation, we are to guard what we've been given. Thus the command to guard your hearts. Again, faith is the vehicle or the avenue by which Christ can dwell in our hearts. And the heart is cleansed by faith in Christ. This happens at salvation by grace through faith. And after salvation, we are to guard what we've been given. How do we do that? By faith. Surprise. Same, simple, beautiful, powerful solution. By faith. And if you don't have enough faith, it's a gift from God. So ask Him. Just humbly, humbly is the key word, ask him for more faith. Don't do it arrogantly, like, Lord, how come you haven't given me enough faith? Right? Who does God give grace to? The humble. If you really want it, if you get on your knees, so to speak, whether physically or, me or mentally, and you humbly ask him for more faith, your father loves that, and he promises to give you grace which gives us faith. So that's what the Spirit has us talking about, um, heart issues, really. So think of the heart as where your motivation lies, the core of your beliefs and who you are. Think of the heart as the place where your loyalties lie, where you make decisions based on what you really believe. To a certain degree, the heart is definitely a mystery. It can't be seen physically or spiritually. But as we know, God looks at the heart in all that we do. One more description of the heart that came up on Sunday on the board. The heart functions as the conscience. After David showed insubordination against the anointed king by cutting off the corner of his robe, his heart smote him in 1 Samuel 24.5. And after Peter's sermon, the audience was cut to the heart in Acts 2.37. The heart may condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. 1 John 3.20. And David prays that God would create for him a pure heart to replace his defiled conscience. In Psalm 51.10. Before we move on, let's see the Apostle John's explanation of the evidence of the changed heart of the believer. And that God is there for us no matter what. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John 3, verse 18. The heart may condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts. 
1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So when your heart does condemn you, what should you do? Back to Ezekiel chapter 18. Repent and live. If you need to turn around and turn back to him in a certain area, just do it in humility. Turn back to him for guidance and remember that God is greater than our hearts. So we see the importance of the heart and how it functions in our lives. And yet, on the board, this is all supernatural stuff, folks. How the heart and the mind and the conscience function together in a spiritual fashion cannot be put on a roadmap. We're talking about supernatural spiritual function that the Lord has provided to us and for us. Supernatural. Don't try to write this down on a chart in your head. Even though we're examining what the Bible says about the heart, right? That's wonderful. But let the Spirit bring it all together in your soul to give you supernatural understanding and His wisdom. What does the Lord want from us? What's our role in this? We know by now it's only one thing, one thing we can possibly come to God with, and that is humility. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. If we do that thing, as pastors said over the years, the key to the spiritual life, God adds all these other things to us by grace, including the understanding of the heart and these supernatural spiritual functions. So we might call this our path to peace on the board. If we humble ourselves before him, we know he will give us grace and faith. James 4, 6, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And faith changes everything. Ephesians 3, 17, Acts 15, 8, and 9. If we humble ourselves before him, we know he will give us grace and faith, and faith changes everything. Amen? There lies freedom, folks. There lies the answers. There lies happiness and peace and contentment. One more thing on the heart on BibleStudyTools.com. The greatest commandment according to Jesus is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Love here is more than emotion. It is a conscious commitment to the Lord. So I hope you now have a better picture of the heart, according to the scriptures. And we also saw on Sunday that we should examine our own hearts. Not the hearts of others, by the way. But examine our own hearts 
and beware that our lips can say one thing, but the heart can be thinking another. Turn again to Isaiah 29, verse 13. This is another thing to beware of. Be on guard for. And don't just be a hearer that deludes himself. We are to be on guard, on guard for falling into a religious routine, void of the heart's involvement in a relationship with the Lord. Think about that. As we read this passage again, we are to be on guard for falling into a religious routine, void of the heart's involvement in a relationship with the Lord. Satan would love that, to take the heart out of it, so to speak, to have you fall into religious rituals and you know, things you should do without it being because of your relationship with the Lord. Look at Isaiah 29, 13. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rope. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelous, marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Remember we read in Proverbs how wisdom and understanding will guard you, will protect you? But here it says without the heart involved in worship, men will lose the wisdom and discernment they had. God is after the heart. God looks at the heart. So what a horrible thing in Isaiah 29 to happen to any man. They're being religious and going through the motions, having removed their hearts far from the Lord. So on the board, we have to ask ourselves, lip service? Are we trapped in a cycle, if you will, of lip service lately? We at least have to ask ourselves. Stay humble. Examine your own heart before the Lord. Examine why you do what you do between you and the Lord. And if you find the reasons aren't too good, get on your knees and say, Lord, snap me out of this. Change my heart. Whatever you know, I'm thinking wrongly here, correct this. Uh, I want to serve your person, you, the one who died for me and get back on the right motivation in your heart. So again, it's not a bad idea. It's healthy even to say, are we doing only lip service? Stay humble. Examine your own heart before the Lord. Examine why you do what you do between you and the Lord. And if you need to, drop to your knees. We also saw this principle on Sunday in 2 Peter 3.17. Peter is warning us to be on guard against the presence of false doctrines from unprincipled lawless men who have given in to the lusts of their flesh. Satan and the kingdom of darkness will try to pull your heart away from the Lord using men who have given in to the lusts of the flesh to persuade you. Many times that's how he works. 
Turn again to Jeremiah 15, verse 15. Jeremiah 15, 15. Be careful who you listen to. Beware where you allow your heart to turn. Jeremiah 15, 15. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Do you see the battle going on in this passage? Do you see the struggle, the tug of war for the hearts of men? Again, on the board, we are in a spiritual tug of war. And again, the guy in the darkness in this picture, he's living by the flesh, trying to pull you in with him. And he might not even think he's doing it, you know, on purpose. But that's the reality of the situation because he's influenced by spirits of wickedness in the heavenly places. The point that came out on Sunday is this on the board regarding a spiritual tug of war. In this world, there is a constant pull in the other direction. Sometimes from individuals or the media or authorities, etc., there's a pull for you to turn towards them in some way, trying to sway your heart towards the world's ways. That's what's always going on. Okay? And that's what Satan tries to do. He tries to wear us out because it's always going on. We're always feeling that pull from the world. And that's why we come back here and we rejoice with the Word of God and be like, refresh me. I need to eat good food right now. I need it because the world has been pulling and tugging and pulling. So this is the reality of what's going on. But the Word of God, of course, the sword of the Spirit, can overcome everything, whatever Satan throws at you. So again, there's a pull for you to turn towards them in some way, trying to sway your heart towards the world's ways. They'll say things like, Oh, it's not that bad. Come on. Join us. You're being legalistic. You're being too sensitive. Uh, you've got to live your life, you know. You ever hear that? Here's one I heard last week from someone as they were partying it up. 
I'm living life to the fullest, are you? Why not throw a little guilt on there too or something, make me feel like I'm nothing compared to you, right? I'm living life to the fullest, are you? And I want to say, I am, yeah, for the Lord. But they wouldn't have understood. But there's that pull. There's that pull to join them, to come on in. The water's warm. Meanwhile, it's rising to a boil. Instead of saying, time is short, live for the Lord while you have the chance, people say, time is short, live it up. Totally ignorant of what's to come and any eternal value. So be on guard, folks, because it's going to be tempting to be pulled in with them. Maybe it's easier. I mean, I don't have to fight this spiritual battle if I kind of give up, if I kind of go with them and go with their, their flow and, hey, they look like they're having fun, even though they're worshiping the throne the next morning. You know what I mean, right? They look like they're having fun. So why not? I'll just, you know, I'll give in in this area. I don't need to stand firm in this area. I stand firm in the other areas. And that's what Satan wants you to do. He just wants you to give in slowly. Just one or two things. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You're strong spiritually. Look at you, you spiritual giant. So says Satan, trying to puff you up. There's a force trying to pull you in with the world's ways. And it's really the ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit, which we see in Galatians 5. On the board, but we choose to be used by the Spirit and to ignore the temporary fleeting temptations of the world that tell us to live for self. For we believers look forward to seeing Him very soon with no regrets. Amen? That's what it's about, folks. Staying focused, keeping your eyes on the cross, being like one day at a time, I need the Word or I'll perish, I need the Word or I'll be deceived. Staying on that course, staying on that course, staying on that course. He gives you the power if you're humble. And then one day, we see him face to face. And we have zero regrets. That's what we're after. So don't fall for the lies and the traps that try to lure you into temporal things. And I'm confident he's going to protect us until the end, till we see him face to face. On the board, we saw this on Sunday regarding uh, from Pastor's blog, Wally Cleaver's Nose. Just a great title. The very best the flesh can hope for in its dwindling plight is to influence our perspective, to get a believer's attention diverted to unholy standards set up to ultimately keep us in bondage to the opinions of man. That's what the pull is. That's, that's a, a picture of the pull that the flesh is doing on us, the kingdom of darkness, you know, all of our enemies, spiritual enemies, trying to divert our attention to unholy standards set up to ultimately keep us in bondage to the opinions of man. Don't fall for the opinions of man. In fact, stop listening to the opinions of man. Some of you listen to too many of the opinions of man because they're a nice person or they look good or they're charismatic. You watch the news 12 hours a day. 
So you can see really smart people dressed in suits or in nice dresses who look so, you know, attractive physically that you start to listen to whatever words come out of their mouth. And you buy it hook, line, and sinker. The opinions of man, right? Gobble it right up. Watch out. Be on guard for your heart. Stop giving the opinions of man credibility when they don't even have the word of God and you're listening to them. Like what they're saying is gospel. Stop giving them credibility because they're smart or good looking or whatever. Speaking of being in bondage to the flesh and the opinions of man, I'll turn again to Jeremiah 17, verse 5. I hope you see these passages that we went to on Sunday, they're all worth a hearty review because they say so much in context. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Notice, two choices. Trust in man or trust in the Lord. If you're doing one, you're not doing the other. Because what does it say in verse, 10, uh, verse 5? Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So if you're trusting in mankind, your heart is turning away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Who's this describing? Verse 7, the man that trusts in the Lord. Don't you want to drop your fear and your anxiety and to know that you won't cease to yield fruit? Trust in the Lord. Verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So we have to ask ourselves, where is our heart at? Where has our heart been lately? Who have you been trusting in lately? The Lord seeks the heart, and only we can look at our own hearts and see where we're at between ourselves and Him. On the board in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, we saw this passage looks very similar to Jeremiah 17, 10. It says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. The deeds we do, whether good or bad, they begin in the heart, where our motivation lies. And God always looks at the heart. So be on guard. Protect what He's given you. If He's given you a new heart at salvation, now protect it, guard it with all you've got. And by the way, all you've got is humility. 
to turn to God every day so that he can give you more grace and more faith so that you can not lose your way, so that understanding will protect you and watch over you. Be on guard. On the board, straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the cross and the absolute truth of God's word and don't be swayed to turn to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes on the cross and the absolute truth of God's word. There's no other source of truth in this world, folks. I mean, I don't know how many of you have done your own research, and if you've got to do your own research, go do your own research. But there's no other word of God with proof and prophecy and, you know, miraculous writing and everything that gives us the truth about life. Keep your eyes straight ahead on God's plan for you by grace through faith. Again, there are crafty people out there used by the kingdom of darkness pulling people away from pure faith in the Lord. And it's a shame, too. It's like ugly. If you could ever see it happen between people, once in a while you might get the chance to observe something going on between a couple other people. Maybe someone who's in the faith but is fragile and then their friend is talking them out of it. And, and this, this person just, just found a pure faith in the Lord and this person is feeding them lies. It's tragic, really. It's horrible. But that is Satan coming after the hearts of men. And so your first priority, the thing you can control and are told to control, or not control, but to pursue, is to guard your heart, your own heart. And then maybe, just maybe, we'll be strong enough in the faith, standing firm to help somebody else in need like that. But guard your own heart. On the board, as the Lord instructed Jeremiah, they for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. This verse is kind of our mantra in this series. Again, they for their part may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. This is God's call on us as believers, folks. We've been set apart, haven't we? We've been sanctified as children of God for his good work. He saved us. He changed us. He made us a new creation. He gave us a new heart. He said, you're mine now. Stop thinking you're still in the world. You belong to me. I've rescued you from a lot more than you realize I've rescued you. So now just follow me, serve me, remember your calling. Again, we've been sanctified, don't forget, on the board in 1 Corinthians 1-2 in the NIV. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. What a great verse. But we are sanctified, folks, and we're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart from the world. To not turn towards them. Let them turn towards you when they're ready. But don't turn towards them. And as we close, go to 1 Peter 3, verse 13. 1 Peter 3, 13. We've been sanctified after all. We've been given a new life. 
and a wonderful calling as part of that. We're just pilgrims passing through, remember. 1 Peter 3.13 Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So, stop there for a second. We just read in 1 Corinthians 1-2, we've been sanctified by God. And now God says, love me back, so to speak. Verse 15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. But in verse 15 again, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and stand firm. Gird your loins because the world will attack you. But so long as you have Christ set apart in your heart, placing your Lord and Savior first, you'll be able to bear whatever he asks you to go through beautifully. If you must suffer at times at the hands of others, fine. Part of our call. Just don't turn towards them. Let them turn to you eventually, but don't turn towards them. They can turn towards you when they see the light. And they will see the light if you act like this verse tells you to act. They will eventually see the light. But you and I must not turn towards them. Amen? All right, let's continue with this on Thursday. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your amazing grace, your wisdom. We thank you for making it all available to us so freely. And Father, we thank you for humility and grace and faith, everything you provide for us to follow you where it doesn't depend on us or our own ability, but it depends on your grace. Father, we ask that you help us keep our eyes straight ahead on your son's cross and help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that need it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.